I'm Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. This is Lars Helgeson, CEO of Greenrope and author of CRM for Dummies. I'm Allison Bloom-Fetchdock, the founder and CEO of Know Your Crew. This is Brad Van Dam, president and CEO of Marge Confectionery. And you're listening to High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Uh, if you remember... Two days ago, we had the pleasure of hearing the first part of my interview with Laura Youngkin of The Brave Millennial. She has an incredible perspective. She brings a lot to the table as far as ideas, uh, not only just from the millennial perspective, but as a woman uh, working through uh, an amazing company and learning different things and nuances about moving throughout your career. So this is part two. Yes, part two. I know uh, the anticipation was <laughs> was growing, but this is part two of my interview with Lori Youngkin, uh, you're going to hear some very interesting uh, thoughts and ideas of how she sees uh, not only just uh, the woman's career path, but uh, a millennial's career path in general, and also uh, some of the great relationships that she's been able to build uh, throughout her career. So sit back, take a listen. This is part two of my interview with the creator of The Brave Millennial, Laura Youngkin. So I find that middle management, whether they intend to or not, tends to be a place, you know, some places call it the crunchy middle layer, the crusty middle layer. Um, it's where ideas can get shut down. And if you deign to go around, um, if you deign to go around middle management, you know, you're in for a world of hurt, uh, yes. which I can speak to. Yes, <laughs> definitely. And I, it can, and it can be a, that strategy can, it's only a 50-50 shot. It could either right. be a great thing that you did it as a brave millennial, uh, sure. shameless plug, or right. it could be damaging actually to your career in that company. Um, it could be. It, it really it's interesting. could be. It's interesting. I found, at least in my own experience, that um, I was able to develop some really solid relationship with senior and executive leadership because... Um, there's no there's no perceived threat like they are. They don't feel threatened by my presence. And so it was much easier to create relationships with them, whereas middle managers who are in the middle, who are working their way up or one, you know, fighting to hang on or they perceive that they are fighting to hang on to what they have. And there's a whole new crop of, you know, new young people who are getting a lot of attention, who have a lot of enthusiasm, who are coming in. There's there's a perception there that we may replace them or outperform them or outshine them or something like that. And that creates um, just really unnecessary tension. And that is where it's so difficult to make that call. But so often as a, as a young leader, whenever I needed to make something happen, if I I would try and try and try to push it through middle management and and if I couldn't get it there and and the project was going to suffer or it was going to cause us to waste a significant amount of time or money, if we didn't solve this issue, then I had to make, take that risk and make that call um, and go around middle management to senior leadership and say, hey, we're having this issue. This is what's really going on and I need your help. Exactly. And then the problem gets solved like that. And so yeah. I think once you see that happen, it, it kind of causes you to be like, oh, my gosh, why am I wasting so much time <laughs> playing this like political bureaucratic game? Right. When really, if I just went directly to the decision maker, we could bypass a lot of this and be way more efficient. In exactly. What we're doing. You know, you know what I mean? here, here's the thing, though, in, in middle management's defense. 
When you're working as an individual contributor, when you look at your career path, your career path says, okay, you go from this position to the B position to the A position to the, you know, mid management. Right. And that is a a uh, a well-known path. Right. Um, But then once you've done whatever you had to get to get to that point, you know, whether by, you know, uh, leaving a bunch of dead bodies in your wake or Mm -hmm. whether you've done it, you know, in a very good and natural way uh, that people will want to follow you when you get there. I think many people get there and realize this isn't what I thought. Oh, I yeah. wanted it to be right oh, because totally. I personally feel like when you hear large companies and corporations talk about the bureaucracy, the red tape, if you will, all of the the hoops. Honestly, I feel like if they did a really good internal deep dive, they would find that it all sits with their middle management. I don't I I have met so many leaders uh, and to your point, you know, uh, one of my greatest strengths in my corporate career was making great relationships with senior leaders who were typically baby boomers. So I have like these long lasting career beyond my career. Right. I I know these people personally um, uh, of relationships. And so. Even in the experiences like I've I've had ones like yours before. And it was fascinating that when I some ways went around middle management and got to know this this scary world of the executive leadership, because perception is reality. Right. So Mm -hmm. if you're an individual Mm -hmm. contributor and you're dealing with a bureaucratic and red tape uh, kind of fear-based middle management, then you you 10x in your mind think that must be how the executive leadership team is. Right. And that could be so far from the truth. And when you right. have kind of like this out-of-body, out-of-the-matrix experience with an executive leader, you go, oh, they're actually pretty cool. And ah. and to your point, you're like, well, why am I dealing with them again? And so I, right. I've 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 really over the last three or four years looked and studied different companies and looking at you know some of the research, and I'm just going, so how long is middle management going to be a thing? Now, again, considering older companies who've been around forever, that's that's a hard ship to just you know up and yeah. change. However. We have seen in the news and some things that kind of get out. Some companies are squeezing out middle management slowly but surely. Right. Well, it's such an interesting. Um, oh man, this conversation could go so many ways. But <laughs> but I think what we have to take a hard look at is you know what what are the responsibilities that we give to middle management? Oftentimes. I see, especially in, in the entertainment business, which is where I've you know worked for more than a decade. I I see that in order to make people feel like they they are being promoted, we often assign them the task of managing others, right. even if managing others is not one of their core strengths. Some <laughs> exactly. people are great at managing other people. 
I have had some fantastic bosses and functional managers who were great at managing people. I've also had the complete opposite. People who were maybe great on a project in a project environment who really are not strong at managing uh, at managing people, and sometimes they're being asked to do both. But that's how we acknowledge them, right? That's that's this measure, that's this path that we are all feel like we have to be on, where right. in order to move up or in order to feel like I'm meeting some sort of milestone of success, I now need this new fancy title, but that new title comes with a lot of responsibility that maybe isn't geared towards what I'm great at doing. Right. And so I think we have to kind of change the way we look at how we value mid-career um, employees and how we compensate them appropriately and how we um, acknowledge them and give them the appropriate amount of responsibility, but really setting them up for success uh, in a way that allows them to perform well and do great work without feeling like they have to protect and elbow out uh, anybody else who might, you know, come between them and their whatever they feel that they, you know, are worried about losing. So, um, so it's it's just such an interesting thing. I mean, I'm like you. I have had some really amazing experiences and uh, and learned so much from my relationships with senior leaders. Um, and it's because we had a mutual um, understanding that you know I'm I'm not a I'm not a threat to you. I'm here to actually learn from you, and I respect you quite a bit. And I would like to, you know, th- those have been my best experiences. I mean, I think millennials have so much to gain by working with baby boomers, but we have to dispel the myths that we believe about one another in order to really come together and and do all that knowledge sharing and collaboration and mentoring and championing that really makes our workplaces thrive. Absolutely. So on that note, what would you say are the things that an emerging leader can learn from a baby boomer and vice versa? So I think when it comes to millennials learning from baby boomers, I mean, the most valuable thing, at least that I've taken away from from those experiences, um, is just all the stuff that can't be taught in a book. It's all the stuff that you cannot just pick up a book and learn or even listen to a podcast like this. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's it's um, even though those are all important, good resources, the, the things that have been the most valuable to me is really hearing the lessons learned and the stories and and gaining insight in the experience that my older colleagues have had. And we all, we, you know, just touched on this, but nothing really teaches you like being forged in the fire, right? Nothing really teaches you like failure or really having those experiences. And I think, you know, I've learned so much about my own industry just by listening to the stories, um, from, you know, my baby boomer colleagues. Um, and they, they are definitely, at least in my industry, we're looking to not repeat those mistakes on, on our current projects. Um, and so you hear a lot about like, oh, well, last time we did this or 20 years ago we did this and it was a big mistake, so we're not going to do that again. So all of that kind of legacy knowledge, um, subject matter expertise, depending on your um, depending on your industry or your company, there's so much that gets passed down. There's so much... Um, unique knowledge to each of these companies and these fields that if you don't set up a space to pass that, you're really, to pass it on, you're you're really um, letting go, I think, of a massive investment of time and resources 
um, that you've made and you'll never get that back. Um, and so I think that if we could create cultures where that knowledge sharing, I mean, one of my, I can speak to one of my best experiences working at Disney actually was uh, a period of about seven or eight months where I was paired up on a project with a producer who was, I'm going to guess, maybe 30 to 40 years older than me. He had actually started at the company the year I was born. So that tells wow. you how um, how far apart we were. And I was really nervous, actually, in the beginning about this um, partnership because um, he had a reputation for being kind of a grumpy, difficult, <laughs> older person. <laughs> um, and I was like, oh, gosh, I'm, you know, now I have this reputation for being kind of a outspoken, um, you know, very confident millennial woman. Are we going to get along? And that eight months was actually some of the best time I've ever had in my career because I was paired up with a person who was so experienced, who did not see me as a threat at all, but really took seriously um, the opportunity to collaborate with someone of a different generation. He felt that he had a lot to learn from me. I felt that I had a lot to learn from him. He treated me as a peer and as a partner instead of as a child or a student. That parent-child dynamic, too, is something we should, we should come back to. Yes. <laughs> but instead of, yeah, instead of treating me as a student or as a young person who didn't know what the hell they were doing, he really championed me and empowered me, valued my input, and we made a great team. Um, he encouraged me to be bold and brave, to trust my instincts. He let me go out front sometimes, even if even if it was the first time I was, you know, doing something or maybe presenting to a really high level stakeholder. Um, he helped me learn from missteps, and um, it was one of the best times of my career and a time of intensive learning. Not because. Um, he didn't let me perform or wanted me to be in his shadow, but because he allowed me to work as his partner. Absolutely. And, and I think what you're saying there, I, I think for, for any CEO or executive who's listening and you have maybe selected or haven't even started down the process of selecting someone to begin that mentorship or you have said that, hey, we found mm -hmm. these several people that we know we're going to start investing in because they are the next line of leadership. Right. Right. What you just heard, this guy gets it. And I think the key there is we should take the risk out of people's careers because they choose to invest in the next leadership tier. Absolutely. agree. I, I think that's one thing that I see a lot that happens all the time that Many baby boomers are just a, a bit afraid. They won't take that risk because their job is on the line, because they know yes. that report has to be perfect, because they know that presentation must be precise, because they know, you know, they have all these things that they're responsible for. But if you care enough about building the next line, and I don't even mean just as a leader, just as an individual working every day. And right. you're a baby boomer. I think it's so important that you find somebody that not the company just forces you to work with, <laughs> but that you go find somebody and you let right. your leadership know that, hey, I'm pouring into this person. They're going to come with me to these meetings. I'm going to allow them to have this space. You know, hey, guess right. what? They're going to fail. 
And so what? Right. we'll clean it up if they do. Right. right. Um, but I, I love that that you've had that experience because it has probably um, given you not only just hope, but 10 X your career because somebody was willing to give you that time, let you fail in their presence and give you a soft place to land and ask questions, right. ask the same question 30 times, you know, <laughs> all those right. And it wasn't a, it wasn't a situation of, you know, I hear this a lot. Oh, millennials need to be coddled and handheld. This person was <laughs> not, not a coddler or handholder. This guy was tough and rough around the edges for sure. Um, which I found quite endearing actually, but he, um, yeah, of course it's made, you know, a tremendous influence on my life and it wasn't superficial time, right? It wasn't just, Oh, come to my office and let's have, let's talk. (laughs) I I will sit here and talk with you. (laughs) Right. Right. Let's go get coffee while I impart wisdom on you for 30 minutes, which in some respects I've had very valuable 30 minute conversations over coffee with leaders that I've only met with, you know, a handful of times. Um, but this person I worked with every day for the better part of a year and that type of in-depth partnership and collaboration and training and, kind of legacy, you know, transfer is so powerful, but it only happens when you're willing to let your ego go a little bit and you are, um, you both realize that you have something to learn from one another. And and, and you bring up a very good point, letting your mm -hmm. ego go. And I'm going to tell you why for those who may be listening, um, when you allow someone in your space who may be of a different generation, there's one thing that is going to happen no matter what. And you got to be okay with that. And I hope you're listening. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You have to be okay with them finding holes in what you do best and finding ways to plug them. They're going to point things out. They're going to, they're going to say, well, wait a minute. You could actually do this faster if you do X, Y, and Z. You cannot hold on to the way you've done it for 30 years when so much has changed in the last five. Right. Right. So so I think if you're going to reach out and if you're going to allow someone into your space and you're going to mentor, be willing to be uh, led as much as you lead. Um, I think we're going to tweet that. Um, So (laughs) so I think it's just so important because I think a lot of times those in the seat of influence think, well, I have all the answers and somebody should just listen. And and right. if they do it my way, it'll work. Uh, I, I spoke to a CEO who uh, who's who's coming in a episode on, on, on this show uh, who said that um, one of the things that he, he does not like is the fact that experience um, is used the wrong way on resumes. Uh, just because you have 30, 40 years of experience, he says, at what time bracket is that 30, 40 years? And he said, is it still relevant in 2017? Mm-hmm. And I thought that mm-hmm. was fascinating. And he said, so he doesn't really right. care if you have 40 years experience on running Fortran. Well, that's kind of an outdated language of software. Right. You know, so it doesn't really matter. But the guy who might have seven years of the latest and greatest software experience might be a better fit. Right. So I think it's important that when 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 leaders say, hey, I'm going to groom somebody, be willing for especially if they're a millennial. Some millennials are outspoken 
and they want to give feedback. <laughs> and so right. they might be able to tell you how you can do a report better or right. a change on a particular way your presentation looks or a particular process. Maybe they know a, a simple way to get that done. I'm That thing has to happen. It's got to be both ways. Right. Well, big red flag for me, and I think for a lot of people um, in a work environment, is the old phrase, well, this is how we've always done it. Um, I think that is such a dangerous way to view our work. Now, are there certainly things that have worked for decades, hundreds, thousands of years, you know, if you look back at theater history 2,000 years ago, I mean, there there are certainly things about the way we we do certain things that has worked. And sure, if it's not broken, you don't need to fix it. But in a, in a world now where we are constantly evolving, I think it is so important to maintain a healthy disrespect for the way things get done. Wow. And, and be willing to learn, pivot, try something, even if it means it might not work the first time. Um, I think that is more valuable at finding a better solution or a more efficient way to, to get our work done or create what we're building rather than, well, this is the way that we've always done it. Right. Um, and I, I do see that happening quite a, quite a bit, that tension of like, well, we, you know, there's, there's, some people really are comfortable with a lot of change and other people are not. That's Especially right. if you've worked at a place for 35 years and you're like really close to getting that retirement package and you're the last generation that's getting a pension. Like right. you, there's not a lot of incentive there to change or to innovate the way that you have done something. Especially right. if you perceive it's going to put you at risk, you that's personally right. at risk. So, that's right. um, so that's where a lot of that dynamic, um, comes into play, I think. I love this conversation. Okay, so <laughs> switching gears. Uh, sure. I, I, I want to talk about knowledge sharing. Mm -hmm. So um, one of the things that uh, we offer is a one-day workshop to bring in those selected millennial emerging leaders along with the baby boomer executives and kind of building out a, a really cool uh uh, a starting block, if you will, for 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 just what we've kind of talked about, right? The experience that you had at Disney with that guy, and 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 getting that to be more of a common thing as opposed mm -hmm. to an uncommon result of somebody's you know persistence, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, tell me your thoughts on a couple of areas on that. Why is why do you feel it's difficult for knowledge sharing? to to become consistent between baby boomers and millennials and more importantly what do you think uh millennials have of knowledge that is advantageous to a baby boomer mm, great okay so let's come back to that second question about what's advantageous but i think what makes it challenging you know we've we've touched on a few of these things already it's ego it's fear it's working in the culture um, that's very competitive. And I think those are all roadblocks to knowledge sharing, because if we, if I'm the knowledge holder, I know that that puts me in a certain position of power, right? A certain position of influence and that position, that power, that influence might be small. It may only reach a certain degree, but it exists in its mind. And if I give that up to someone else, then 
maybe I won't be needed here anymore, right? So I think it comes back to setting up a culture where knowledge sharing is um, rewarded, it is invited, it is expected, and it's a safe thing um, to do. Um, that's kind of how you start that, that um, I think making that more consistent when you have a lot of individuals who feel very protective or feel a lot of ownership um, over that subject matter expertise or a particular legacy knowledge um, at a company or organization and they don't want to share it, I think you have to really look at their reason why. And that usually stems back to something going on with senior leadership. Um, it has it has much less to do with the millennials or now Gen Z themselves, anyone who's younger or Gen X even. It has it has much less to do with them from my perspective. Um, so those are the challenges. I also hear the other side of this. Um, and now that I'm talking a lot more with college students, I can see this happening. College students today, I'm 32 years old, college students today, you know, 10 years later, are, there's a tremendous difference between us. Um, and I do see and have experienced some of the frustrations that I hear my older colleagues, you know, complaining about <laughs> millennials or, oh, they don't know this or they don't know that. I have been surprised, to be honest, with some of the lack of knowledge um, that college graduates or or kind of more senior level juniors and seniors in college, um, I'm surprised by their lack of understanding, it, particularly when it when it comes to professional communications. That's hmm. just one thing. Hmm. So I I can kind of see this from both sides now, as you know, or try to as much as I can. Um, there are definitely there are definitely things and behaviors that generations have and develop that frustrate the other ones. Young people are frustrated with, you know, older people for X, Y, Z. It goes both ways. By the way, age bias goes both ways. I know we're not going to touch on that today, but, um, but it really does. And, um, and so I think those are some of the roadblocks and challenges. It has more to do with workplace culture, um, fear, risk, ego, power, influence, these types of things. And also, um, you know, sometimes uh, your younger employees, like, they don't know what they don't know. I made so many mistakes. I goofed up so many times in the beginning just because I didn't know. And that's how you figure things out. You know, find me one person who hasn't made a mistake um, at any point in their life or career, right? That's how you learn. And right. I think that we are becoming less tolerant of people um, figuring it out. So there's a frustration there. When you flip that around and you want to talk about what is advantageous about uh, intergenerational workplaces, I think millennials, to go back to this phrase, do inherently come with a healthy disrespect for the way that things get done. Because in their life, they have seen change happen so rapidly. They have not been able to... Um, adhere to one uh, one way of doing things because technology just has changed, changes so quickly, and it, it impacts our life in such a meaningful and large way. I mean, when I talk to even my Gen X colleagues who tell me they didn't have email in college, I'm like, how did you... How did you go to college? How did you get any, you know, how did you get anything done? I mean, my whole college education was, you know, on, I, I got my homework assignments on Blackboard and we had a 
collaboration website and my professors emailed us the syllabi. Like I don't, I can't fathom that. Whereas when I tell, you know, my 21 year old niece that I don't use Snapchat, she can't fathom that. Right. So technology impacts the way that we share and collaborate and perceive information and, and our own responsibility. Yes. And that is Um, actually a stereotype that you and I are going to dispel right now. Not every millennial is on Snapchat, and these are two no, right are here who are not on it. So just wanted to put that out there they're for our not. listeners. And, but you know what's so interesting is that, you know, I see so many older people um, adopting technology. I mean, I have printed out and saved, of course, this will age me to- totally, but remember when AOL Instant Messenger was like the thing? Oh, that was I the mean, hottest thing smoking. Late 90s, early 2000s, there was no Facebook. How you communicated with with your peers or with people was either via email, but especially over Instant Messenger. And I remember when we finally installed um, internet I think it was dial-up, like dial-up AOL in my grandfather's house down in a rural part of East Texas. And when I was in college, sometimes I would be able to talk back and forth with him over Instant Messenger. And it just fascinated me and thrilled me that he was willing, even though he had no experience working with computers, that he was willing to learn in order to participate and communicate with me in a new way. And I love that. And I see even my, my parents, my dad's on Instagram because he knows that's where he's going to see all of my photos. Um, so I think that, that generations, um, of people adopt technologies in different ways. I'm personally not, I just, I can only manage like a Facebook and two Instagrams. That's about (laughs) all I have time to do. So I'm not part of the Snapchat generation, but I do I see its value and do I understand why people use it? Of course. Do I see why companies want to use it to push out content? Um, and I think it's exciting the way that they're going to grow, you know, opportunities for storytelling and original content via social media. That's really exciting. Um, but I feel brave enough, I guess I could say, or secure enough to choose the media uh, and the technology that I want to use the way that I want to use it for myself. And I think I, I definitely respect that in others. So yes, Absolutely. we can dispel the myth <laughs> that, um, that everybody's just taking selfies. I'm a terrible selfie taker. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so we kind of, we, we've, we've talked a, a great deal and I love this type of conversation um, around some of these areas and some of the impacts and some of the different things that are kind of happening there. But uh, let me ask you this. Um, with some of the problems that we've kind of discussed, and I know we we split over age bias, so I'll, I'll let you kind of sure. talk about that pretty quickly. But if we don't fix these issues, what do you think are some of the potential impacts to executive leadership if we don't really start fixing some of these problems, some of the communication problems, some of these, I would even say some of the storytelling problems, because I, I feel like mm. internally some companies don't tell a great story. Right. Um, or they tell the same story 80 million different ways. And it's very obvious to people who are really savvy enough to notice, okay, they haven't really talked to anybody. So, so what, are, right. what are some of those impacts that you, that you kind of see there if we don't fix this? Well, I think that you're, you're letting a massive investment walk out the door. I mean, boomers are retiring in droves. And millennials are now the largest, you know, group in the workforce. And I think for the health of our 
economy and commerce and the health of um, of our workplaces, not only in the U.S., but around the world and, and the impact that we have on other developing nations. Um, I think that if we don't kind of break down some of these barriers and do a lot of knowledge sharing, we are going to find ourselves reinventing the wheel in a way that is unproductive um, to what we hope to do. Uh, so I think we have to find a way to strike a balance, especially in older organizations. We have to find a way. I was talking to some, some, um, to some women who work at a very, very well-established old oil and gas company, and they are still talking about, well, we've, we've, you know, updated our technology and we have all the latest and greatest when it comes to like actually doing our jobs, but but the, the, the actual work, but when it comes to managing our company, our organization, or managing our people, we're still relying on guidelines that were created 50, 60, 80 years ago. Wow. And we still have that because we value tradition or we value. And so that kind of holds back progress on the people side. Uh, I think we have to be able to strike a healthy balance between like legacy knowledge, which is very unique to each industry and also our ability to adapt, innovate, and change at an ever ever more rapid pace, right? And I think there's such an opportunity there for generations to do that work together if we could just get over uh, being worried about what the other generation thinks of us. <laughs> Absolutely. Honestly. And, and you're, you're, you're so right. And I think for me, the more I begin to look at that space, that kind of chasm, if you will, of that discussion was really the start of my journey with building out this podcast, High Level Wisdom for New Generation mm-hmm. Leaders, because I realized, number one, there's a lot of conversation and stereotypical discussion around millennials. But nobody's talking to the CEO. Nobody's, right. nobody's really getting their perspective to see that. And let me say um, facilitating conversations so that both sides can listen. Right. right. Um, I, I think that's just so, so important. And so I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that that you even see that as as important, too. And in the work that you're doing with the brave millennial. And so for any listener who's like a CEO, what, yes. what kind of advice would you give them? When you start talking about building out a real engagement model for millennials. Hmm. Well, like I said earlier, I think you have to decide that this matters and you have to set some goals around it. And then you have to be all in. You have to be all in. Uh, And I think successful leaders know that. They know that if they want to chart a new course or innovate something new or launch a new product or you know, redefine a way that that we do something, they know that they have to be all in, they have to live it, breathe it, walk it, talk it, and they have to influence others to get on board with what they're trying to do. Um, And if, if they decide that attracting, developing, and retaining their millennial talent or their Gen X talent, which we can't forget Gen X, um, is important to them in order for, you know, for the health of their organization, which it absolutely is, they have to decide that it matters and then they have to get everybody on board and they have to be really clear about what the goals are. The other half of that, like I said earlier, is to talk to the millennials that you have and make 
develop or find a way to have a really solid assessment. I mean, that's one of the things that I do. So I go in and I talk with the client first about what their needs are, what they perceive the problem to be. And I look at their I look at their workforce. I partner with a with a consulting firm out of Seattle um, when I do this, and you know we really make a, we try to, to try to capture as honest of an assessment about what's really going on with their millennials right now, in order to help develop content, programming, workshops, opportunity, whatever we need to develop with them in order to help them meet their goals. But sometimes they go in not understanding what the goals really are because they haven't done the work to understand their own um, their own group, you know, of millennials or, or any other generation that they're interested in. And sometimes it's not, you know, age. It's like, well, we need to increase racial diversity. We need to increase diversity of thought. We need to increase gender diversity in our um in our workforce, and then you know the inclusion of those people is a whole other topic, a whole other discussion. Um, the inclusion of them in, in the decision making, but um, but I think it starts again by being willing to shake off your ego and be really honest with yourself, even if what you're hearing might be bad news. Um, once we accept that there's an issue and acknowledge what the issue is, it's it's actually very admirable when. We see leaders being very transparent about the shortcomings of an organization that they've inherited, created, or built, and what they're going to do to make it better. And nothing's more inspiring to your employees than you being transparent about what you want to achieve and then inviting them to be a part of the solution. Absolutely. So well said. Well, well, Laura, thank you so much for your time today, for being willing to share with us here on High Level Wisdom for New Generation Leaders. Uh, tell everybody where they can find your information and how they can follow you. Sure. So I'm easy to find. I'm at thebravemillennial.com. And remember, millennial has two L's and two N's. Uh, and I'm also on Instagram, which is where I post a lot of my journey, my content, the various events that I'm doing, places I'm traveling or speaking at. You can follow me at thebravemillennial and you can hashtag me <laughs> hashtag the brave millennial oh doesn't that sound so millennial <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh follow me on instagram um and i'm also <laughs> on facebook i'm i'm the brave millennial on on every platform you can find me there except for snapchat yet <laughs> um i say yet you never know what the future will bring and um and i'm available so uh, i work with a variety of other professionals um and we offer you know a handful of services if you're a, if you're a leader or a company owner or ceo you can find all of those on my website uh, i'm also available for speaking engagements i really love talking with college students especially graduating college students so if you're you know a business professor or you work uh in the academic space i love talking with college students and helping them shape their expectations for what is to come. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of what I'm about. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Laura, listen, <laughs> thank you so much, guys. If, if I hope that you got a, a, as much out of this interview as I did. And I, I have a feeling already uh, there's going to be a part two. I, I just, I think it's, Oh, I love it, Chris. <laughs> yeah, Thank you so, so much, much for having me. We do. We do. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. My pleasure. Well, I know 
that in listening to this episode uh, back, I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I hope that you got a lot out of this listening to some bonus material. And you're going to continue to get this because I love you guys. And I appreciate you guys listening, taking the time out to share and talk about it. But Laura was amazing. So thank you, Laura. Thank you to the movement of the Brave Millennial. Thank you to all of those who support that movement. Please go and support what she's doing. She's doing an awesome job. Uh, and I may have her back. So keep that on the hush. No, don't keep that on the hush. Tell everybody. Um, it was a great conversation. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, if you could do us a favor, I ask of the same things all the time, but it's so, so important. Feel free to leave us a review on iTunes or Google Play. That helps with our rankings. That allows more people to hear about what we're doing and gives us more support. So please give us a review or go anywhere. Go to Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Our handle is at high level wisdom and you can find us, uh, like us, give us a share, uh, you know, tweet us, send us a note on Instagram on any of the things that we post, you know, go to our Facebook page and leave us a comment. But what we would care more and more about is that you tell somebody and that you subscribe, subscribe on whether it's Stitcher, tune in, uh, whether it is through an RSS feed, just on your laptop or anywhere that you subscribe to your podcast or listening opportunities for great content such as this, please go and do that today. Thank you guys so much. And I look forward for you to being with me in the next episode. Hey, if you are enjoying this episode and would love to be able to get your product or service heard by the CEOs and our audience, feel free to send us an email at info at highlevelwisdom.com or you can check out our website at highlevelwisdom.com forward slash advertise to learn more about how you can get your product or service ad right here.